Welcome to the Work-Life Brilliance Podcast with executive coach and best-selling author, Denise Renee Green. Denise fills each episode with humor, compassion, knowledge, and pragmatism to help you transform your life. Listen in and learn how you can tame your brain, lower your stress, and become the person you were born to be. Hello, my friend, and thank you for joining me in the podcast. It's Denise, and it is a gorgeous, gorgeous day here in Oakland. My dog and I just finished a hike. It was 50-something and sunny, but it felt like 65 degrees. Anyways, I hope it's beautiful wherever you are, and um, if it's not uh, sunny, I hope you can reframe it to just be awesome, whatever it is. So we are going to continue to talk about this theme that I have been on, which is overwhelm and productivity, specifically reducing overwhelm and boosting productivity. I have been all about this because my clients have been all about this, and I feel like the world is all about overwhelm, at least the world that most of us are familiar with, Um, some people in the world aren't lucky enough to be dealing with overwhelm, they're um, having to deal with survival. So uh, you, my friend, are lucky enough to deal with overwhelm because you have so many inputs coming at you. And as I have said, it is not the amount of stuff in our lives coming at us that causes us overwhelm. It is the thoughts about the amount and speed of stuff coming at us that causes us to have this sense of overwhelm. And overwhelm, just to remind you, is really, really nasty, as you already know, but it's really nasty and painful because it's not just one emotion. It is a collection of many, many painful emotions. And you can probably guess some of them yourself. So when you tell yourself, oh, it's too much, I'm overwhelmed, What do you feel? You probably feel fear. You probably feel shortness of breath. You probably feel anxiety, cornered or trapped. Maybe hopeless, anxious, worried, exhausted. It's not fun. The list goes on and on, but it is this feeling like we are drowning. We are submerged by a tide of information, requests, data, just stuff coming at us, responsibilities of life. And the opposite of overwhelm for me is peace and productivity. So sometimes you just want peace. Maybe it's the weekend, And you just want to feel a sense of peace and calm and serenity. On the weekday, you probably would like to feel a sense of productivity. And it is almost impossible to be productive when you are overwhelmed. Because when you are overwhelmed, your fear brain is turned on. And your smart prefrontal cortex brain is turned off. You literally become dumber when you are overwhelmed. And when we are not thinking straight, it's impossible to be productive. 
Because productive is not something that comes naturally. Productive is something you work at. You get tools to help you. And that is why I am so excited. We are soft launching tomorrow. We're soft launching the Redu uh, the Reduce Overwhelm and Boost Productivity product. And by the time you're listening to this, it will be live on my website, worklifebrilliance.com, and that's work-lifebrilliance.com. Reduce Overwhelm, Boost Productivity. It is there with all the tools that I give my one-on-one -on -one and my group clients that help them. And it is so exciting to see them after they use the tools. I mean, before they use the tools, you can just see the frenetic energy coming out of their heads and bodies. It's just scrambled. And then after they apply the tools, I called one of them a Zen master. Uh, he just felt in control. It's like, yeah, I made some switches to my day. Didn't have to do a lot. And that's just one tool that he used to rearrange things to maximize his productivity. So I'm excited to share that with you, and you can also get a lot of information in these podcasts. Today we're going to talk specifically about one of the enemies of productivity, and that is perfectionism. Yes, I'm still on the P's. So we talked about some friends of productivity uh, in the last couple of podcasts, presence and perspective, and oh boy, was that fun. So today I'm going to talk about perfectionism as it relates overwhelm. So because overwhelm is caused by the thoughts you have about the stuff coming at you, and these thoughts are very linked to perfectionism. So some of the lies our brain tells us about the stuff coming at us include, I have to do it all. I'm expected to do it all. Here's one of my favorites. I should be able to do it all. And other people are doing it all. What's wrong with me? These are all about not measuring up to an impossible standard. And perfectionism in human beings is an impossible standard. Now, perfectionism is possible when it comes to math. So engineering, sure. Humans, no. And striving for perfection, it serves you in one in a couple of ways, but really, you are not serving anybody else with your perfectionism. It is selfish. Again, unless you're building that bridge or that building, perfectionism is a protection, or as Brene Brown calls it, a shield. It is protecting you from failure or perceived failure. It is protecting you from taking risks. It is protecting you from being judged. And in order to avoid all those nasty things, you are not putting your work out there in a way that serves you and that serves others. So perfectionism is very closely tied to this I'm not good enough story that we all develop at a very young age. And we all develop it because we are all, as human beings, born way too early. We have to be born early in order to make it out of our mother's pelvis. So we did a trade-off. Okay, we'll come out early, but we'll come out alive. 
We won't be like the giraffes who come out walking or the tigers who come out six months later, they're independent from their mother. We are so dependent on our survival. We have tiny brains. We take a long time to evolve. Some people are still in their 40s living in their parents' basements, right? People take a long time to grow up and we have to be worthy in order to survive because we are so vulnerable and dependent. That, my friend, is where you get the I'm not good enough story. It has nothing to do with who you are as a human being because you are more than good enough. You are awesome. And so you striving for perfection is holding back your awesomeness from the rest of it. So all of us create our own particular stories about the I'm not good enough, but we all have it. And unless you notice it and you upgrade it, it is going to hold you back and you are going to have serious, major regrets. And even if you talk your brain into not regretting all those risks you didn't take, the world is not going to see the brilliance that you could have put out there. So this, my friend, however long it takes you, is so worth upgrading. And I hope the tools in my program and in this podcast and the other podcast on perfectionism will help you do this. Because you are going to have to summon up some courage. And I'm going to give you some information, but that information is useless unless you summon up some courage. Because you may logically get it, that you're not going to ever be perfect, but your brain still wants to save you because your brain is programmed to keep you alive, to survive, not to thrive. So your brain is going to tell you things like, you're not ready. It's not ready. The report's not good enough yet. So you're going to have to show courage by trying things out, being uncomfortable. If you're familiar with Keegan and Leahy's um, research from Harvard on immunity to change, they say you got to test your assumptions. First, you got to know what your assumptions are. Like, I assume that if I, give, if I give this report to my boss in this format, that I will get fired or that my boss will just hate it. Okay, you need to test that. So that takes courage. It takes courage for some of us to ask for help. It takes courage to release stuff into the world before we think it's okay to do so. It takes courage to admit you don't have the answer. And it takes courage to ask a question in a meeting when everybody else is nodding their heads and acting like they know what's going on. That takes courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is acting despite the fear. So it's not about getting rid of your fear immediately. It's about noticing the story and then deciding, is this worth me feeling a little bit of fear and exercising some courage? So if you listen to the podcast on self-worthiness and self-love, that will help. Because if you believe that you are an amazing, beautiful creature, then this is all going to be easier then if you believe, I am rotten, there is something wrong with me, I'm not as good as everybody else in here, then it's going to be harder to summon up the courage. So please, if you haven't listened to that one, go listen to that one too. Another thing that matters, or that helps, is knowing what matters. What are my priorities? 
You know, I mean, if I want to be a role model to my employees, if I'm a leader, I'm going to need to show some courage and I'm going to need to back off the perfectionism because I am going to drive my employees over the overwhelmed cliff if I don't back off perfectionism. So coaches tend to not dive into your past. Coaching is not psychoanalysis. However, if you come across some clues as to why you have this particular tendency toward perfectionism, it could help you at least ground it to say, I am no longer in that situation. Maybe you did have an abusive parent, and if you weren't perfect in their eyes, you got beat up. Okay, well that would explain a lot about why you might be fearful around authority. Or maybe you had a great childhood, but your last company that you worked for was a toxic environment, and if you left the office before 8 p.m., uh, your bonus got docked, or you got reprimanded in some way. Or maybe you have been a victim of bias of some sort. Maybe you're a minority and you feel like you have been treated unfairly as a result of just how you look. So all of these are possible reasons why you may have a perfectionistic ten tendency now. You have to decide, what is the environment I am in right now? What is my evidence that I need to be perfect? And if I had a meter between doing the worst work possible and what I think looks like perfect work, how do I calibrate and figure out what the situation calls for right now? How do I calibrate, God forbid, good enough? Yes, good enough. I think we should all be striving for good enough because it's good enough. Once you start adding more beyond good enough, you're just over-delivering. You're wasting effort. You're wasting time. I recently went to get my car washed, and boy, do they make it very confusing. They add all of these features that we don't need, including air freshener. Now, I don't know what that chemical is, but it's disgusting, and it gives me a headache. So I'm like, you got to back off the air freshener. I do not need that. So how many of you are staying late at work to add your version of air freshener to the PowerPoint presentation, the executive communication, all right? It's just your thing. It is not actually adding value. And if you're in doubt, you need to test the waters. You need to talk to people. You need to find out, and you might just need to try it out, okay? I'm not going to put the air freshener in the PowerPoint presentation this time, and I'm going to see how it goes. And then we'll debrief after that, and we'll figure out what to do next. So your brain has a couple of major pains that it is trying to avoid. One of them is called social pain, and that is fear of getting kicked out of the herd. And then there's status pain, and that is fear of not measuring up, fear of not being good enough, fear of somebody else looking better than you and getting more of the pie. So maybe it's the bonus uh, pie. So social pain and status pain can drive us to perfectionism unless we are aware of them. And they can make us work longer hours. They can make us say yes when we want to say no to meetings, to promotions, to expanded jobs where we don't even get a promotion. 
Social pain tells us just go along with the herd, even if the herd is going to take us off the cliff. So sometimes you have to leave the herd. If you work in a company culture, culture is a very hard thing to change. And if that culture is antithetical to what your values are and your priorities are, find another herd. <laughs> if you have social friends that have habits that are contrary to how you want to be, spend a lot of less, less time with that herd and find a new herd that helps you become the person that you are trying to become, your ideal. So let's look at some perfectionistic thoughts that I find are really common in my clients and put them through the STEER thought upgrade model. So STEER, the S stands for situation. Let's just use the simple situation that I am about to present to a senior executive. So a thought I might have about this, a painful perfectionistic thought I might have about this is, I can't make a mistake. I have to have the answers. The emotion that I feel when I think that is fear, worry, anxiety, perhaps doubt, and probably many others. But for now, I'm going to say those are probably enough to motivate us to not want to be thinking, I can't make a mistake, and I have to have all the answers. So what actions, what actions are we likely to take when we're feeling fear, worry, and anxiety? So our amygdala, that emotional part of our brain, is lit up, and we're thinking, I can't make a mistake. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to over-prepare. We might over-prepare our team. We might work the team so hard to try and figure out answers to every possible question we can imagine. And then once we're in there, we're likely to get flustered if we don't have an answer and make something up. Or when we are flustered, our brain can have a hijack, an amygdala hijack, where we lose access to the thinking part of our brain, and then we might stutter, we might just go silent, we might giggle, have a verbal tick, uh, say, ah, uh, for 20 seconds, instead of just saying, that's a good question, I don't know, but I can find out. Would you like me to find out? Because maybe they don't even care. Maybe they were just talking out loud. I personally wish we would stop calling them meetings and start calling them conversations. Because meetings imply, I am talking at you and you are talking at me and this is really not going to be very productive. What our brain wants is a conversation, a dialogue. Because when I ask you a question, I don't necessarily want to hear the answer. I want to hear myself ask the question. Because I start to answer the question when I ask it. But I have to be having this dialogue. Because if I keep it just inside my head, it is very hard to keep it straight. So please give me your presence in a conversation to have a back and forth. And without you being present, if you are thinking constantly about the next step, you are not present. You are in another place. You're in another quantum time. You are not here and now with me having this conversation. So if you're trying to be perfect and plan, you are not going to be in service in that conversation. You're not going to ask them to rephrase it because it probably came out of their mouth in a confusing way to them too. Like, 
I'm sorry, I don't quite understand the question. Can you rephrase it? Or let me see if I understood what you're asking. No, we're not going to say that when we go from the thought that I can't make a mistake and I have to have the answers. We have no curiosity when we have that thought. So results. Well, we probably don't have a very productive conversation. Uh, we probably have a team that is very tired and now knows that this is how it's going to be whenever we have to report to a senior executive. And we might be sleeping four hours a night because we are over-preparing in certain areas. So we don't have as much time to prepare for other areas unless we leak into our sleeping time. And maybe another result is that we work more on weekends instead of spending time with ourselves and with family, playing and being peaceful and resting. Today, I had, actually, um, was not today. I'm a little confused. It was yesterday. I had a client who is a rock star. She is a veteran. She's been in this current job for 12 years. And she was about to do this, present to an executive. She was so nervous and so confused that she canceled the meeting and said to her boss, I want to reschedule the meeting, but only after I've talked to my coach. <laughs> So we got on the phone, and she was basically worrying about what the executive wanted her to prepare. She was essentially trying to mind read this executive, whom, by the way, she knew quite well. But she's still trying to mind read this person. And she had a list of possible topics. And I said to her, I'm going to ask you a really dumb question. And by that, I mean... I don't really have the answer to this question. I'm genuinely curious. I said, you know this person. What would happen if you sent her an email and said, these are the topics I'm considering bringing to our meeting, and I'm wondering which of these is important to you, which of these isn't, and in what priority you would put them? I'm like, what would happen if you sent that to her? And she paused, and she went, duh. I'm trying to mind read her, and I could just say, this is what I want to talk about. We have this much time. Here's what I'm thinking should be the priorities. What am I missing? Like, well, uh, I bet she would really appreciate you saving her a lot of time by asking the question ahead of time instead of guessing. So she's going to try it out. She's going to test it, and we'll see what happens. Some of us are parents, and... I'm glad I didn't have perfectionistic parents. Um, I mean, I grew up in the 70s. Did, we, did any of us have perfectionistic parents in the 70s? I think we were all kind of free-range children at the, in that decade. Um, but now things are different, aren't they? There aren't as many latchkey kids. So let's talk about a perfectionistic thought that parents have. I have to be perfect or... I will mess up my child's life. They won't get into a good college. Their life will be ruined if they don't get into a good college, and they're going to be living in my basement for the rest of their life. And they'll be miserable and poor, even if they're not living in my basement. So that is a possible thought that a perfectionistic parent could be motivated by. The emotion that's going to produce, well, a lot of fear, a lot of worry, a lot of anxiety, general pressure... And the actions that parent might take, well, 
they might turn into the typical helicopter parent, checking in on everything, to-do lists for everything, helping with homework every night, signing the child up for four languages, 12 sports, four musical instruments, or even just one of each. And then the result, maybe, maybe down the road, that child does get into a great college, but the immediate result, and by the way, of course, we all know there's no guarantee that child is going to get into a great college, but the immediate result is very little sleep, a lot of anxiety, possible resentment of you. Actually, let's make that probable resentment of you developing their own perfectionistic tendencies and uh, strengthening the I'm not good enough story. Or maybe they just turn it back on you that you're not good enough and they will never parent like you're parenting them. Um, and probably therapy. If not now, later. Costly therapy. Therapy can be great, but it's something you probably want to do because you choose to use it to kind of smooth things out versus choosing it because you are so frazzled and overwhelmed and anxious and perfectionistic. So a thought upgrade about parenting that I would suggest, and you don't have to take this, but it feels really good, is when you think that your job as a parent is to love your child, like actively love your child, not just in your head love your child, but feel and express love for the child through your actions, through your words, through your energy, to be present for your child, to set an example for your child about what it looks like to be messy and to be lovable and to be loving and to be good enough, to support your child in finding their natural talents and interests, developing mindfulness, a sense of compassion and genuine confidence. The kind of confidence that says, yeah, I didn't do so well at that. That's probably not my thing. But I do really well at this. I excel at this and I want some more of this because I get into flow when I do this. And just help this person try things out and become the human being they were meant to be. What is their particular version of human being? It's going to be unique. Let's hope they get it close to that so that they don't have to have a huge midlife crisis and rearrange everything, every decision they've made in their life to live the life they're actually supposed to live instead of the life that you laid out for them on a map. When we have this thought, these thoughts about parenting, we will feel emotions like peace, love. We'll feel calm. And actions might look like letting our kid try things out and even letting our kid quit things. Creating routines that support study, play, and sleep. The result, hopefully, can't guarantee, but hopefully we'll get this well-rounded person that people want to be around, who has friends, a person who can take care of themselves, 
person with true self-knowledge, true confidence, and courage. So my client, another client, who is a minority and is in a new role, I can't tell her that her thought that she has to be better or she will be discriminated against. I can't tell her that's not true because that might be true. Uh, bias is a real thing. Non-conscious and conscious bias is a real thing. Now I told her, it's not true with me. If I'm sitting at the table with a minority woman, I assume they are probably at least twice as smart as anybody in the room. That's me. So that is a bias. Uh, but I have a reverse bias. And so you never know. I'm not going to tell her it's not true. But I need to help her so that she is less overwhelmed. I need to help her find what is true in her world. So what we know is that when she sends emails late at night, her people respond to her. We just know that's true because it's, it happens. And she doesn't like it. She said it, it surprises her. Because her intention, like many leaders, her intention is good. Her intention is to just get this out so that when you wake up and you go to work, you have the information that you need. But if you're a leader, it doesn't matter how good your intentions are. You are part of the problem. Because no matter how kind you are, no matter how nice you are to your people, you present a status threat because you have some responsibility in their bonus and in their employment, and so to their brain in their survival. So you have to figure out, is it worth it? Do you care about your people enough to change your perfectionistic tendencies? to change the way you communicate, to change how you manage your time. So I suggest that you take the tools that I give you for reducing overwhelm and boosting productivity, and don't just use them with you. If you are a leader, or even a peer, use them with the team. Bring them to a team meeting. And ask the team, how can we use our resources together so we are doing good enough work that we feel proud about and then we're getting more sleep, we're having more presence, we have time for play, and we are enjoying our work more. Where are we doing A-plus work when a C or a pass-fail will do? What time would that free up for us? What could we work on instead? Where do we need to be doing A-plus work where we can't right now because we don't have the capacity? And what is the worst that will happen? if we don't do A plus work? What's the worst that will happen if we don't even do this task? Let's talk about that as a team. Everyone wants to shine. And if you think about race, car racing, we humans have to make pit stops. We have to take breaks. We cannot be racing all of the time. And sometimes it's better to hang back and not be in that first position and guess what? Sometimes it's not a race. We act like it's a race. That status threat and that I'm not good enough story makes us think it's a race. But it's just about getting across the line. It's just about maybe staying in your lane and not crashing. Brene Brown says that many people think perfectionism is striving to be your best. But it's not about self-improvement. It's about earning approval 
and acceptance. So I suggest that we drop the shield of perfectionism. We be real and we use tools to figure out our priorities, to plan our weeks, to prepare and decide what's worth doing well and what's worth doing good enough. And really importantly, what's not worth doing at all? Let's dump it. So I hope you can find something in your day going forward today where you can look at it and say, how could I just do this good enough? And where can I back off? And then help somebody else figure that out too. Oh man, you will become so inspiring to yourself and to others. And I look forward to hearing how it goes. You can email me at denise at brilliancing.com. And again, you can find tools to help you reduce your overwhelm and boost your productivity at work-lifebrilliance.com. And always, you can join me in the academy where wholehearted people are coming together to do this with each other and with me, live group coaching. A different topic every month. We go deep. We have fun. It's awesome. All right. You are awesome, my friend. You are way more than good enough. So be good to yourself. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Work Life Brilliance. If you want to be coached by Denise, join her in the Work Life Brilliance Academy, where wholehearted humans are becoming the best version of themselves. Accepting applications now at WLBAcademy.com.